You're listening to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast with me, Alexia Leachman. Let me help you to take the fear out of pregnancy, birth and beyond with a mix of real life stories and experts sharing their wisdom. I'll also be sharing psychology insights to help you to cultivate a fearless mindset. Be inspired and be empowered with Fear Free Childbirth. And now it's time for the show. Hello and welcome back to the Fear Free Childbirth Podcast. My name is Alexia Leachman. Thank you so much for joining me today. On today's show, we're going to be talking about drumming. Yes, drumming in pregnancy and childbirth. Now, the thing about drumming is it's something that we've been doing for millennia. And it's one of those things that that we get drawn to because it just feels so tribal. And so it just connects to a part of ourselves that is deep within all of us. And one thing that maybe a lot of you didn't realize was that drumming could really help you as part of your pregnancy and your birth experience. It's been shown to reduce pain which I think is going to be something at the top of everybody's list. So today I'm going to be chatting all about how you can use drumming as part of your pregnancy and birth experiences. And I'm going to be chatting to Sophie all about that. Sophie is a doula and she's been introducing drumming within the pregnancy journey with her clients, but also outside of that for herself. And she's been getting enormous benefits for her and her clients around it. And that's what she's going to be sharing with us today. But before we hand over to that chat I had with Sophie, I've got a couple of updates I want to share with you. Now, if you're interested in learning my fear clearance method, perhaps you want to learn it to use with your clients. Maybe you're a therapist or a birth professional or a coach. Anyone really that wants to help bring about change in people, whether that's reducing their fears, their anxieties, their stresses to improve their focus or their mental fitness. Head trash clearance can be used for all of those things. So if you're interested in training and learning, learning this method so that you can use this with your clients to get incredible and fast results, then listen up because I'm going to be opening up training in September. So I just want to share with you what that training looks like, because it's like no other. Let me tell you that an important part of all the training that we do at Head Trash is to ensure that everybody walks the talk. And that means that if you're going to help other people to bring about change and you're going to help others to heal, then you need to have done a lot of that yourself. And so the first part of our training is about healing you, your stresses, your fears, your anxieties. Yep, that's it. The first part of it is all about you. And it's all about you learning how to use the method on healing yourself so that by the time you reach the halfway through the training, You are a different person already. You've had an opportunity to really dig deep and uncover some of your deepest wounds and heal them. And then once you've done that, you're able to then start learning how to apply what you've learned on yourself to work with others. And this healing that you do on yourself means that you are better able to hold space for your clients. It means that you're better able to be present with them and really tune in to what it is that they bring to you when they work with you. The great thing about doing this personal work is that you're really able to experience the true transformational power of using head trash clearance because you've witnessed it and experienced it for yourself, which means you're much better able to communicate that to the clients and the people that want to work with you. And the transformations really are incredibly potent and can come about very, very fast indeed and can often hit um, achieve results that maybe maybe have eluded you before in the past. There are many women that I've worked with, therapists that have come to me for help and support that have experienced the level of transformation that they simply haven't witnessed anywhere else. And they've thought, hang on a minute, this is incredible. I've been seeking this kind of transformation for me, for myself, and I haven't been able to do that with everything that I've trained. I need to learn this so that I can bring this into my client sessions so that they can experience this level of transformation. So if you would like to bring about this kind of rapid transformation in the emotional well-being of your clients, then perhaps this is the training for you. There are two levels that you can train at, whether you want to do practitioner level or professional level. And you can also have training that's specifically for the pregnancy and birth journey, which means you can then start working with women to help them overcome their tocophobia. And believe me, we need more people out there to support women to help them to overcome their tocophobia. But if your work isn't in the realm of pregnancy and birth, and perhaps you work beyond that in a more general way, then we also have training that's not specifically birth or pregnancy related. So if you're interested in finding out more about the training that opens up in September, then you can head over to the Fearless Birthing website to find out more about the pregnancy focused work. And there's a training badge there. You can check out the training there or head over to headtrashclearance.com. 
where you can see the, tr the practitioner training over on that website. And as I said, I'll be opening up the training in September. It's a three-month course that includes lots of online content, as well as live classes and, of course, personal clearance homework. And you absolutely have to get this personal clearance homework done. And you only progress to the next levels of the training once you've done it and your work has been assessed. That's how seriously we take our work at Head Trash. So if you're interested in taking part in any of those trainings, then do head over to either fearlessbirthing.com or headtrashclearance.com. Back to today's show. As I mentioned right at the beginning, I said I was going to be chatting to Sophie. Sophie Messager is a doula. She also trains in Rebozo and she supports women through their postpartum, having written a book on postpartum recovery, which gets amazing reviews, by the way. And you should really check out that book. And so today, Sophie is joining me to talking about drumming and using drumming within the pregnancy journey and the birth journey. And she's currently writing a book about drumming in pregnancy because apparently there isn't one. And obviously, if there isn't one, then she needs to be the one that writes it. So I know that she's doing lots of research behind the scenes to find whatever information is available and to bring it all to readers in the book that she's writing. Now, I know that drumming might sound surprising and a surprising thing that you might want to incorporate into your pregnancy journey. But please do hold that thought and just listen to what she has to say, because it is pretty compelling. Okay, I'll hand over to the time that I spoke to Sophie all about using drumming as part of the pregnancy and birth journey. Hello, Sophie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alexia. Thank you for having me. So we've spoken before on the podcast, but today we're going to be talking about drumming around birth. And I'm fascinated by this subject because I'm very much aware of the healing power of sound and frequency and how frequency is so important on the healing journey. You recently started drumming. So I really just want to start from the very top of this story. Like, how did you get into it? But, and what's your journey been? And what have you learned along the way? But before we do all that, just give us a little bit of an intro to you, Sophie, and where you're coming from, what your background is. I was a biology research scientist for 20 years. I worked on chronobiology, the genes that control, you know, um, our internal rhythms. And then I went to work for biotech industry for a few years and I went back to academia. After. Anyway, I spent 20 years doing biology research. And then when I had my first child, I went from a place of being, so my first child is 17, I went from a place of being really scared of birth to hiring a doula to going to some really quite alternative um, antenatal classes. And just that led me to a very positive birth experience. And that completely changed my career because I thought I want to do the same thing that was done for me, which is how people go from fear to an empowering experience. I fell into the whole birth world. I started training to be an antenatal teacher. So I went and got an, an diploma for your education in antenatal education. I started teaching antenatal classes. I, I trained to be a doula. I trained to be a baby wearing instructor. And I did all these things for about five, six years for mostly working with families. And then what happened is I organically fell into teaching birth professional people because people asked me. The interesting thing is about six weeks ago, I got diagnosed with ADHD. And it, there's a lot of things that make sense all my life. And one of the superpowers of ADHD is hyperfocus, the ability to get really sucked in really deep into little rabbit holes. So that was what I've always done all my life, which meant whether I was a scientist or went to the, any field, usually within two or three years, I would be considered a name in my field because I'm so obsessive about learning. And I can also, I'm very bird's eye view, I'm a meta think, I make thread between things. So I'm like, well, yeah, but there's a link between this and a link between that. When it comes naturally to you, you don't stop and think there's a big deal, right? That thing that people said, well, how do you do all these things? I don't know. It just is. And so this obsessive grasping of things and making especially the link between the science and the esoteric, that's what I became known for. And of course, people then said, can you teach us? And so it sort of fell into mostly working with professional from about six, seven years ago, still working with families, but it almost took a, a like a secondary seat. And what I love the most is bringing back traditional knowledge that's been lost together with modern science together. Alongside this journey of teaching professional, I also being at birth reignited a, a desire I had to work with energy because you can't be in the birth room and think, not feel the enormity of what's happening in the room energetically. So I 
had already trained in being a Reiki practitioner in 2003, so way before I did all my doula work and birth work. But the being at birth as a doula reignited that big time. So I took Reiki and Reiki master in the same year in 2015. And then what happened is uh, 10 years ago, in my first year as a doula, I went to a retreat and I was exposed to a drumming workshop. Yeah, where there was a drumming workshop at part of the retreat. And I remember thinking, well, that's not going to work. In fact, I remember thinking that's bullshit. And had them, we did a drum journey. It did something really quite phenomenal to my brain. And I'm not normally a visual person, but I had these really, really, really vivid visions in that drum journey and that was like oh you know i just remember opening my eyes thinking that was something else and so i made me want to have a drum because i was such a like oh my god i want to get more of that in my life and i went back to france on holiday my mum gave me an irish baron that they bought on a trip to ireland i brought that back on the plane and the rest is history almost to say this what's really interesting is i started with a lot of imposter syndrome around this all my life I've had imposter syndrome whenever I tried something new. Not so much now because I've kind of started to learn to work with that, thinking, well, yeah, you do something new, you're going to feel you're not that competent and that's quite normal. But holding that and not feeling like it's, I'm not good enough at it is no more an issue for me. But the drumming, I came back with this drum from France and my brother is a professional musician. And he had showed me that, you know, the boron you play with this little stick, right? You, you, you have a tiny little stick you're supposed to play in a really fancy way with your fingers. And I couldn't do that. And I came back to Cambridge with my drum, went to see my friend Peter, um, who is a shaman and makes drums. And I said to him, Peter, I can't play this drum using this little stick. And he said, well, Sophie, what is it you want to do with this drum? Do you want to play in an Irish band? <laughs> 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 no, I want to do some shamanic drumming. He said, Danny, you do not need to learn to play with the stick. <laughs> and so he showed me how to make a soft pita with felt and the rest, you know, I just went home with that and spent about three or four years just self-teaching myself to intuitively do it, which I think was a really important part for me. It's sometimes your self-exploration, even though it might be slower, it's actually more powerful in terms of learning to trust yourself but also learning to do what's right for you than going immediately to learn from someone you know we live in a culture where unless you have a piece of paper to prove that you've trained to do this it's not seen as a mm. valid and so i spent about three to four years just doing it all on my own and eventually in 2017 i took reiki drum practitioner training where you learn to channel reiki through the drum wow a, that sounds very niche reiki yeah drum. <laughs> yeah and then I then took the um, Reiki drum teacher training in 2020, literally two weeks before the first lockdown. So what's very really interesting, what happened with that is, you know, sometimes you sign up for something because you think you're going to do this X, Y, and Z with it. But actually what happened is a completely different thing. So that's what happened to me with that. I never ended up teaching Reiki drum as such. I just, it just gave me something that meant my drumming suddenly became very, very, very present in my life. I started running a drum circle in, in two, two months before the lockdown. So I ran it twice. It was surprisingly popular. I, I thought I was just going to get four or five friends who already had the drums, but I got 15 women of, I think, only one or two at the drum. So I, by then I'd acquired quite a like, large collection of drum. I'd made two. I've made three now. As you can see, this big drum here behind me. Oh, yeah. I made it on Sunday, like literally three days ago, and I'm not yet able to play it because it needs time to try. I just um, started doing the drum circles. I had to do them online. And what happened is in 2020, I turned 50 and I invited a few women and I said, I'd like to start my birthday. You know, 2020, yeah, we couldn't get anybody across to do a big parties. There were still really heavy restrictions on how many people you could gather with. And I decided to start the day drumming and I invited women to come and join me and two of them joined me. And what this turned into is we've been drumming weekly in the woods at dawn every week for three years. Wow. Just the three of us. We don't want to invite right from very on, early on, it became clear we didn't want to include other people. It's our practice. It's something we do for ourselves. It's a really deeply spiritual practice. We set an altar, we set intentions, we drum, and then we, you know, we open sacred space, we close sacred space. And then after we've done our drumming, we we'll bring hot drinks in flask and we have a bit of a, it's like therapy almost you know talking about our lives and i just never imagined that that what would happen 
do you see what I mean? That, um, and I need to backtrack a little bit. So what happened is very early on, I started offering drumming to my clients as part of healings and especially as part of a postnatal massage I give called Closing the Bones. And in the early years of my practice, I shied away from really being quite open and blatant with my drumming because I felt some people would think, oh, it's too woo. So I gave women the choice and a lot of them would say, I don't want any of that hippie shit. I just want the massage. But then I realized when I started learning about the science of drumming and what it does to the brain, especially because what we know through, you know, recording with electrodes on the head is that when you do this kind of repetitive heartbeat like drumming at a certain speed is that you the brain waves change to a really deep relaxed state like a bit like that state you're in when you're in between sleep and being awake but actually can go even deeper in what's actually akin to being asleep but you're still awake so it slows your brain waves down and i thought when i then burst my second drum you know because we call it birthing a drum when we make a drum really <laughs> i spent two two days in a retreat you know making a drum with a really famous um, british spiritual practitioner and musician called Caroline Hillier and it was a really powerful experience and after that I thought I really need to like just give people that the same chance I have to not have this misguided belief that this is just some kind of nice woo thing or woo thing that they don't relate to I just thought I'm gonna drum at the end of the massage and tell people this is what I do this is part of the massage because I thought I need to give people that experience of what it feels like and because by then I'd trying to do Reiki drum. Reiki drum is done over the body, so the vibrations go through the body. I started giving everybody 10 minutes of drumming at the end of the massage when they were all wrapped up. And the stories that people told me is like really quite, again, threads, very interesting. People say, I felt like all my ancestors were there. I felt like I was in a temple. You know, I felt like I was back in India. I felt like I was here, there, and there. And people often talked about the feeling, the vibrations through their bodies and how powerful that was. Because my experience with doing Reiki drum is the vibration makes the Reiki faster than if you just use your hand because it potentiates the whole thing. When I did, for instance, my Reiki drum teacher training, I had to do 24 case studies. And one of those case studies had a problem with a tightening of one part of the body, like the shoulder area, that this woman said, every time I see an osteopath, it gets nice and loose. And then the next day, it's back to being rock hard. And when I drummed over that part of the body, the drum had no sound. It's like it wasn't there. I was like, and she was a sound healer. And she said, yeah, when I do use my voice for sound healing, I've seen the same thing happen. It just doesn't sound. As I drummed and drummed and drummed, eventually the sound came and she said she felt like she'd been at the osteopath. And over the course of the four weekly session we did, she got to a place of releasing a body that she'd never been able to be. Because also my intuition guided me to ask a specific question about what might have happened to her that caused this. And when I, one day, I, sometimes I get this kind of download, I just spoke this and said, did you have that this and that happen to you? And she said, yes. And then she said she felt the whole tension go. There's been some pretty powerful stuff happening with that. And, and so the, I would say since 2017, I've always integrated that in, in my postpartum massage practice, but I've always also given a lot of healing to pregnant women. And, and then what happened is I then started offering it to birth. And I think the first time I drummed at a birth was probably in 2019. Because at first, you know, this kind of thing, back when I started doing Reiki, so I get backtracking a little bit. So when I started doing Reiki in 2015, I had this like huge quandary thinking, oh my God, I mean, Cambridge, most people hire me because they say we picked you because of your PhD, you're not a hippie. And I was like, yeah, oh my God, control your face. And I was like almost ashamed of my energy healing process because I thought these people are going to be put off by that. And then a uh, um, coach I worked with challenged me to come out. And so then I started sharing a lot more about this. And the response I got from people really quite amazing because they all said, most people said, oh my God, thank you so much. I feel the same. Almost like I, I'm ashamed of my spiritual energy, woo, non-scientific stuff, except it's not true. There is science in it. It's just there that is, yeah. it, we live in a world that likes to box things, either science or woo. You know, people often say to me, how come you do Reiki even though you've got a PhD? And I'm like, because I can. I don't even feel the need to justify it. So the first time I drummed at a birth, it was at a home birth, and it just felt like the more natu most natural thing in the world. And, and the 
the woman I drummed for has become really good friends since said to me, oh my God, it was amazing. She only felt like drumming when she started to push. And then she said the minute she started drumming, it really, really hard. She said, why didn't you do it before? And I'm like, she didn't feel like it was needed. So one of the things people have asked me often is what's the right rhythm and what's the right time to drum at birth? There's no such thing. It's completely intuitive. So I've seen women who only like drumming during their pregnancy, seen women who only like drumming during their early stage of labor, seen women who only like drumming during pushing and vice versa. So that is, I have had a client who the first time I drummed in the hospital, we drummed during some part of the first stage of labor. And then when she started to push, I picked my drum, thinking she could do with the support. And she said, no, but I'll just put it down. And she said, it just wasn't right at that time. So the stories I've picked up with that is that it's no prescriptive ways of doing it, no right time, which is really empowering for people if they want to learn, because it's a bit like um, when I teach Rebosa massage and people said, how long and how fast should I rock the And I'm like, you, you ask her what she wants. The woman is the one who gets to tell you what's the right thing. So it's the same here. You try and you trust your intuition. And if the person doesn't like it, they'll tell you. But it's really quite fascinating how much we live in a culture that thinks, you know, when people have asked me, oh, do you do a particular rhythm? No, I don't. I know that generally speaking, the rhythm that are very slow tend to be more like calming and faster, tend to be more invigorating, but also the type of bits that tend to change the brain pattern, they're actually quite speedy. They're actually 180 to 220 bits per minute. Oh, wow, that is fast. Yeah, rather than just boom, boom. The thing that's really quite exciting, so I have been communicating online for the last few weeks with a, an Australian midwife called Jane Hardwick Collins, because she's the only person I found online who's written about drumming for birth. She's just got one blog post. I emailed her and I said, you know, and you got anything more in your books about that? She said, no, that's the longest I've written about the subject. And I can't really find anybody else who's written no books, no articles apart from that one blog post. And she does, you know, quote in an article, a book I have here, which is called When the Women Were Drummers by Len Redmond. It's a scholar's book. It's about the history of drumming and the fact that the drummers were the servants of the goddess. But it talks on three, so you can see I've like marked it, three different parts of the book about people drumming to speed up childbirth. Oh, okay. About women drumming to speed up, knowing which rhythm helped contract the womb faster. So that's the only historical thing I found, but literally there's three sentences in the entire book. I've flicked through the whole book trying to find, you know, stuff. My gut feeling is this was a thing, like many of those traditional women wisdom things were just done and they were passed from women to women orally. So there's very little written about it, as I'm sure you know, what tended to be written about in the past was more men stuff. Yeah. But I'm sure that was a thing. And it's, it's been lost because, you know, there's been all the burning of witches and all the losing of traditional goddess practice and traditional things that wise women used to just do. So for me, it's part of bringing back drumming for childbirth. It's, it's not something new for me. It's just bringing back a lost skill. Since so what's happened to me over the last few weeks is that it's really like made itself very, very present in my life because I signed up to do the course, a four-day trek with women drum circle facilitated or training where I made the egg-shaped drum I've just showed you. After I signed up to that, then also signed up to give a talk about the science of drumming at a convention of women drummer in November in the UK that's organized by the Emilonie Siret, who I did a training with. She calls herself the drum woman. And then the real thing that really blew my mind because it was so unexpected is the editor of the International, International Journal of Birth and Parent Education emailed me to say we're doing a special edition on complementary therapies for birth and we'd like you to write an article about drumming for birth. That really blew my mind because I thought yeah. when I got the email, they're going to ask me to write about, you know, rebozo or something like that, but not, not write about drumming. I was like, that's really unusual because like I said, there's no scientific papers. I've not found any. There's a lot of scientific papers about the effect of drumming on the mind and body, and I can go into that in a minute. That, that request of this article led me to start creating a lot of really deeply pointed questions. I wrote 10 interview questions and I went to the women that drummed at their birth and tried to cast my net as wide as possible and asked, you know, do, does anybody want to share what the experience was like? And 
as I started interviewing my clients, so it was really interesting is the stuff they shared I didn't even know about. So just to tell you a few tidbits, one of my clients said, at home, I didn't really feel I needed drumming because I felt I was in my power. But when we went to the hospital, suddenly I felt really at the mercy of the hospital. I felt vulnerable. And when you started drumming it, she said it felt like when you put on power music when you're jogging. Yeah. She said it reminded me of my power and, and of just trusting and relaxing and letting go. I didn't know it had done that to her, you know, like amazing. I knew she'd enjoy the drumming, but I never asked those three deep pointed questions. So when I started interviewing people, they all said the same thing. And I was like, wow, this is big. I had a friend who said she tried to drum herself during her labor. She had to stop because it made the contraction so powerful. She couldn't cope. I was going to ask you whether you're always one drumming or does the women drum for themselves as well? From what I've found, it sounds like it wouldn't be a good idea for the woman to drum for herself, maybe in very early labor or certainly during the pregnancy and during the postpartum as a practice, because okay. what I find it does is it really allow you to like almost, you know, if you've got something that makes you scared or anxious or anything that bothers you or a problem in your life, when you drum, it's almost like it's allowing you to move to the side and look at it. It makes that thing that where we know it changes your brain waves. I've had drum journeys done for me by other people in the past to find the answer to a problem. It comes so fast. It's like the, I said, it's like having a massage in your brain. You know, you've got stiff muscles and you're uncomfortable move very well, but your brain is full of patterns, right? This whole idea that neurons that virus together, wire together, you know, you, you're unknown to yourself, locked into some kind of way of thinking the drumming changes uh, it's like it's giving you a fresh path so suddenly you start to look at things from a really different angle so yeah drumming in pregnancy for yourself definitely i've interviewed a woman during those four days training who said she did that and it was really 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 powerful and i wonder as well the impact of the sound and the frequency on water and we know when we think about like what's that word is it i can't think of now where you can see the patterns within water yeah of certain frequencies when you think about how much we are water and then i'm just thinking about the amniotic sac and the baby yeah and what impact this is going to be having on the baby as well like that must be just yeah. bathing in this incredible frequency that just must be so potent have you got any insight as to what what's going on with the baby i mean the right. women who have drummed at the pregnancy they say they feel the baby really likes it the baby usually become often becomes very active right to report that they feel that the baby enjoys it the baby enjoys uh, mm. but you know if you go from the premise um that we're all made of vibration exactly i mean it makes so much sense we're made of water but we're just made of particles and vibration and we know that what always amazes me is people are quick to dismiss drumming because they don't understand the science, but they believe in ultrasound, right? You treat people with ultrasound, right? You treat muscle injuries with ultrasound. And of course, you use ultrasound to look at a baby. And it's the same technology, but because it comes with a sort of aura of modernism, you know, it's the same thing. You know, if you believe in ultrasound, you believe in drumming. It's just, it's a different frequency, obviously, but it's a different tool and it's, it's in a white clinical thing, fancy machine that goes ping, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not with a woman in the flown dress and the crazy drum, you know. <laughs> it doesn't look like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you really need to make your drums more clinical looking, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you're going wrong. So let's talk about the science then briefly. Like, what is the science around? I mean, there's a lot of science around frequency and the healing power of sound. So if anybody's listening that doesn't know about that, then I would encourage you to go and go and seek some of that out. But specifically around drumming, what is there? What, what do we know that drumming can do? For, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is the change in your brain waves, relaxed meditation thing. But what comes hand in hand with that is that it does calm the nervous system down. There's published research that shows all this brainwave change, but there's published research that shows it decreased anxiety, decreased depression, increased feelings of well-being, improved cardiovascular health, improve your immunity, decreased pain. So the vibration themselves have been shown to decrease pain, but drumming has been shown to increase endorphin release. And then, you know, if you think about the context of giving birth, it's, it's going to hit three things. It's going to help facilitate that process of going into a trance-like state because birth is a trance-like state if it's led to be doing its own thing and not interfered by the system. We all know that women go into this like labor land, you know, when the endorphins take over and the cortex kind of gets switched off, you, you know, that. So that it's going to help 
that translate process and it's going to help with the comfort of the contraction and it's going to give a focus point as well jane hardwick's calling on online article about drumming for birth it's a woman who said the minute the person started drumming over a sacrum it made her contractions painless wow you know and oh. and that other thing that my clients have said is it felt like there was something that was holding them reminding them of their power reminding them to relax but it's not mm. a figure of speech because like i said there's really cool research showing mm. um that and also it provides a sense of community so there's people who've done drumming stuff for like healing people from trauma drumming stuff for healing people from addiction so it's more than just uh, you know what's really difficult is i've not been able to discriminate what part of it is a vibration what part of it is a sound what part of it is a that was my next question so i'm like i'm wondering like part of me is like well i just want to get a recording play it nice and loud in the room but actually you think about the difference between just putting something on earbuds and for the woman to be hearing that so at least it gives us that mental focus but then she's not her body isn't exposed to the sound waves of like it would with somebody actually drumming next to her. But then if she did play that through big speakers, would she still get some of that? Or is it really like, where does the sound end and the freak, like, you know, where does all the vibration? So it's, you know how you can do remote healing on somebody? She said you can do remote drumming on someone yeah. or someone. You know? Can you? But of course, it's going to be more powerful if you're actually present in the room and you have all three, the sound, the the vibration yeah. and the presence of someone who's drumming holding the space for you because yeah i think the difficulty with the whole thing is we can't discriminate you know there's no studies that's been done that goes like you say just just looking at the effect of the sound without the vi wave, vibration without the wave so all of it is part of the, the process the package yeah 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 and when you were talking about how, um, you know, just hearing the drumming, and I, I've had some really powerful drumming experiences. And, yeah, the minute the drums start, you just, yeah, you, it just feels so tribal. It just awakens something really deep within us that you just know that we've been doing this forever. Yeah. And that we've got ancestral memories and inner and, and knowledge. And it's part of every culture. It it still is part of many cultures, but it, I believe it was part, you know, this this book, When the Women Were Drummer, she she goes scholarly through every single, you know, the histories that she can find, and, and it's everywhere. It's supposed to be the oldest instrument known to man. So it's not like um, alternative third word fad. For me, that when I started reading around it, I was like, wow, what's not normal is not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, like the, what, what we know is that the process of introducing patriarchy and removing all the priestess of the goddess who were the ones who were drumming, because this book makes a case that it was women who drum, not men, that right. drums were destroyed. And, you know, in, in the, one of the persons I love a lot um, in this whole drumming thing, not for birth, but the science of drumming is a, a French woman called Corinne Soma. And she was initiated as a shaman, trained for nine years in with Mongolian shamans, being the first white person to become a Mongolian shaman because she was recognized as one and she went into a trance or she went to do a documentary on Mongolian shamans. You know, she went back and created a trans science research institute. You know, there's a lot of really, really cool research that's being done on understanding what it does to the brain, what the trans she's created a sound loop so it's reproducible, you know, what the trans does to the to the to the brain etc but and what what it does to psychiatric pathology what she she has a story in one of her book where she cured this guy of paralysis he had cancer in his pelvis he couldn't move and she made him go into a trance and that restored mobility to his pelvis and within a few weeks he was walking around again there's videos of youtube showing what the guy's pelvis is doing and there's a guy who's paralyzed and you go <laughs> eh. you know it's really quite amazing but what i feel you know is that that stuff you're talking about feeling like you listen to the drumming, feeling like you're tribal, feeling like you, I think it's part of our DNA, call it yeah. in our memory. Um, and it's really sad that we've lost that and that in our culture has become something that's seen only as outside of our culture, as in some weird shit that doesn't belong. Yeah. And I found that, you know, I do several practices and one of, as, as well as drumming, I do a form of um, conscious dancing called Five Rhythms. And I sing, I love singing. So I also sing whilst I drum, which again, I think was really part of it. And it occurred to me a few years, a couple of years ago, that singing, drumming and dancing are, are part of every culture. 
But in the Western mm. world, what's really sad is it's seen as only something special people can do. Mm. Um, like often people feel very shy and self-conscious about singing or dancing and drumming, you know, but, but they think, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to sing. I don't know how to drum. You know, last night I was running a webinar on drumming for person and people were saying, oh, hi, what kind of rhythm do you use? And they said, it's completely intuitive. You don't have a set rhythm. You just start and you feel into it. And the impression I often have, for instance, when I do healings with the drum, but the same happened during birth, is that the drum drums me. So mm. I may drum over somebody's body, for instance, to for the purpose of healing. And and when I reach a certain part of the body, the, the sound changes, the speed of the sound changes, the rhythm changes, and I'm not making that happen consciously. It's like it's responding to what's going on. Sometimes mm. I've been drumming really, really loud and really, really fast and not understanding what happened. And then suddenly it moves, moving to another part of the body just becomes really, really slow really really soft and um and it's it's a bit like you know when you touch someone you massage someone you're gonna try to meet where they're at it feels like it's the same thing you know you don't want to go mm. some people like to be massaged really like effleurage very very gently and you need to do that for them to relax because if you go in like that they're gonna go and tighten even more but it's the same with the vibration of the drum since they actually do work on you know what state the body's in what vibratory state the body's in what um you know i, I wonder for instance if the drumming has a big effect but has not been studied on fascia because yeah. fascia is you know a cognitive tissue that's around and inside your muscles and and what i know from talking to my osteopath about that is that fascia when it's in its healthy state is soft and pliable but when it's tight it's become like really crunchy he says a bit like mm. a chamois leather you've left in the sun oh, yeah. <laughs> so the healthy fascia should be like a wet chamois leather yeah, yeah. hard okay. crunchy fascia is a tight fascia it just feels crunchy under your fingers and mm. i think this is very possible that the drumming um i mean i'm sure it acts on many layers on the body but that it acts on that connective tissue yeah. specifically because it's my, my osteopath told me that when the fascia is healthy, it becomes um, absorbent of water, but when it's tight, it, it repairs water. Mm. That's why it becomes crunchy. Yeah. Yes. And so it sounds like when you're in that, it, when you're intuitively drumming, that you, you're almost just a, a channel for whatever that body, yeah. that person needs in that moment. And being able to trust that is very important because, you know, at first you're going to think, oh, that's why oh, am I doing it right? You know, I'm, who am I to do this? This is some weird yeah. thing. Because when I first drummed at a birth at a, in the hospital, I remember feeling really conscious of the discomfort of the midwife um, and purposefully mm -hmm. not making eye contact. And I'm always fascinated by the fact that people are not curious when they meet mm -hmm. something that they feel this is weird, not heard that before, seen that before, what's that got to do about and not, not asking questions. And then the last mm. person I drummed at um, in the delivery unit, I felt because back then, by then I'd been drumming actively constantly for two years. So I just got my drum out and I didn't even worry about it. Yeah. I felt completely normal. I thought if the midwife is like the thought that entered my head was like, if, if the midwife is uncomfortable, that's none of my business. Yeah. But I, so yeah, I was going to ask you about the hospital environment, whether or not, I mean, when you're drumming, I mean, is it, is it loud? Are there going to be other people outside complaining about it? I mean, what happens? When I drum at home, it doesn't matter usually. And when I drum yeah. in the birth centre, the birth centre in Cambridge is a really big room and the building is only 10 years old and it's pretty well insulated sound-wise okay. from one room to the other. But the delivery unit is a building that was built in like the 1980s. And it's yeah. a pretty crap sound solution. Yeah. And luckily, we when I drummed at that bus, we were in the pool room, which is a bit away from the others. But I started drumming, somebody knocked on the door, and I thought, oh, God, somebody's going to come see me. And you stop that racket. But no, it was just completely you know, not relevant to what was happening. Right. It was a midwife coming to ask a question to the midwife. I don't drum very loud in context of birth. You know, it's it's like, it's not. It's so I'm wondering the lady, the, the, the mum also, that. She might be thinking, 
if she's not able to fully let go, she might be thinking, oh, hang on, we're going to disturb other people, you know. Yeah. And some women very struggle to even, like, make noises during birth. And, yeah. and they're worried that how that's going to come across and disturbing others and offending, whatever that that's going on in their mind. Yeah. So I'm just wondering whether they're drumming. But again, you know, it's always referred to as complete consent. So the people yeah. who have wanted drumming at their births sometimes have been hired for that as a doula. Right. Like, and women said yeah. to me, I want someone to drum at my birth. I was like, woohoo, bucket list. <laughs> It was the first time I drummed in the hospital. And then, um, so the women would choose to have that. Or when I offer it to them, you know, if somebody said, I'm not comfortable with that, of course, I'm not going to do it. So yeah. um, it's never been an issue in that respect. And yeah. it's not like, it doesn't sound like, you know, the, the those frame drums that I use, like the one I was showing you earlier, they're not loud the way that, say, African-style drum. Because one of the things I've been discovering reading some some stuff online is that, they were African style drum that they traditionally used to communicate from one village to the other because they're pretty loud. You know those drums that like, like a shape like. Um, like yeah, yeah, like quite, quite. Well, I, I've got I, like a tall drum that's almost about like I've got a drum that reaches up to my breast. And they are a lot louder usually because there's a resonance of the entire. Yeah. Well, so yeah, yeah, you know yeah. the type of drum they use, which is known as a frame drum, is it's not very yeah. deep at all. You know, it's um, no, no, no. And, and you know, when you're going to start making sound with it, you know, unless you start to beat really, really hard, it's not very loud. No. So you know, does it not get a little bit crazy? Like when you kind of get carried, like just get really into it, does it not kind of get quite intense? It can get to quite intense. Interestingly, I've not been in a situation where it got really intense at birth. Oh. Because of so even when it's fast, it still stays quite quiet, does it? Or I mean, in my mind, because I've been to kind of like, I've had lots of drumming experiences and, and I've done, I've gone to, I used to play capoeira, which is Brazilian martial oh, yeah, arts. Yeah. Drumming and rhythm and it's all very, not party vibe, but, you know, it's a samba, it's, it's loud, you know, you know the drummers are there kind of thing. So in my head, I'm equating when it gets really fast and the pace is there, there's a lot of excitement and energy and volume, I guess. So I'm just wondering whether there can be this 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 fast pace as but also quiet, whether there's I, I don't know, does that does that work? Does that so so far when I've drummed around the pregnancy and birth and postpartum journey, I've not found myself drumming very, very loud or very, very vigorously i'm gonna make an analogy like for instance you know when i massage a new mother i'm usually really gentle really really soft because there's a feeling that this the body is usually really tender you can't just go in like being yeah, really yeah. vigorous it needs to like work yourself in really gently and maybe build from one massage to the other whereas when i massage somebody who's not postpartum and i feel they can take it sometimes i'm really deep yeah. Because so I the time I've done very vigorous drumming, it's usually been someone who's not in the birth, pregnancy, and postpartum journey. Right. There's a sense that this needs to be held with tenderness. However, I don't know. Then there might be people who drum very vigorously around that that period. Yeah. But with especially thinking about with a baby in mind, feeling the vibration in the amniotic fluid and mm. all that again, that and the very exquisite sense of hearing and feeling a vibration in the baby, it feels like it needs to be gentle. Yeah. But that's just been my experience. There might be people that be, you know, curious to hear if anybody's ever had really strong. And what about around fertility? I mean, I just wonder whether or not there's, you know, maybe those might be struggling with fertility, whether the drumming can bring their body align things again to maybe facilitate fertility. Is there any any for me, you know, when I talk about the birth journey I talk about the whole thing from conception but I also talk about birthing outside of giving birth to a child you know like birthing project birthing yourself all of that kind of and also I see the drumming as a transition support so mm. we you know when you know that sound healing can be a powerful way to shift stuck energy in the body you can easily imagine that say drumming over somebody's body especially drumming over the pelvis and the reproductive organ that might happen. I also found that it's not uncommon for people to have big emotional releases during those type of healings, yeah. great big sobs and stuff like that. And and it makes sense that if there's something that's being held in the body. So I'm thinking that our wombs probably carry a lot of trauma. Yeah, we hold 
a lot there, whether it's our own, yeah. from maybe even miscarriages or, or anything that's happened to us in our own life, but also ancestrally, yeah. that our mothers would have carried, that our grandma, you know, that we've just drawn down that maternal line. But there's a lot of stuff that's just being held within our womb space that potentially could be getting in the way of fertility. And I'm just imagining that the, the drumming can just be such a powerful healing force just for women anyway, just to kind of let go of maybe some of this trauma that's just locked in our bodies, locked in the womb space. To totally. try and, um, is, is anything like that happening? I mean, I don't know. Do you do, do, you do anything on that level? I've done drumming as part. So I've done quite a lot of closing the bone rituals for women post loss because I've got a history of recurrent miscarriage and supporting people through that, giving their body a healing after the mm. loss of any um, state of pregnancy has always felt really, really important to me. I've got anecdotal evidence, so I can't tell away from the drumming to the massage or the energy holding that the ceremony provided, but I've got quite a lot of anecdotal evidence of people successfully conceiving yeah. after that. But um, not, you know, like I said, it's anecdotal, but mm. like I've had women who had recurrent miscarriage and like I, I remember doing a healing on someone who'd lost twins recently. And a year later, I got a text saying she'd just given birth to a healthy baby boy. Amazing. It's just, um, and, and like I said, you know, enough recurrent um, anecdotal evidence of that going to go, there's something there. And obviously, you know, the way I always approach things is I discuss things with people who are having issues like that. And I go, well, you could try that or that or that or that. And people will automatically choose what they feel more drawn to. I don't push from healing or, you know, this type of ceremonies that I do to someone onto someone where I sense it's not their cup of tea. Because I think it works on every level, a bit like throwing a a dart on a dartboard. Sometimes you hit bullseye, but you're going to hit anywhere on the dartboard that's going to have some kind of impact on the whole system. So sometimes it's like really effective, really, really fast, you know, and sometimes it's um, more subtle, but it's still going to participate in the process of mm. because, you know, the Western approach is very looking at the anatomy of things, you know, looking mm. at your home and looking at your tubes and Mm. If you find nothing wrong with those things, then you're left with what, you know, like, because I believe about 50% or more is unexplained infertility. Yeah. And when we start looking at to the more holistic approach of things and giving people a chance to explore that, if indeed there is trauma um, or energetic blockage that, that mm. are lodged in there, you know, doing energy work stuff, including the vibration of the drum. Mm. But it's not just that, you know, it's a bit like what I was saying earlier. How do you discriminate between the sound and the vibration and the holding space? When I do a healing or a session for someone around that, there's a lot more that happens. You know, mm. it's, it's about the person being held in kindness and support and giving space to. So often, for instance, with a closing the bone massage, I will have a debrief session first give the women a chance to like really talk about how if there is trauma, what happened and how they felt and process that and then do the healing yeah. behind it, you know, because I think it, all of these things, things needs to be expressed. Sometimes people don't even know, you know, sometimes I've said, and how did that make you feel? And the person's just burst into tears because nobody else asked them the question, you know, the whole thing, oh, all that matters is a healthy baby or, you know, being dismissive of the fact that the grief that people may experience because they can't conceive the grief people may experience because they've lost a baby at six weeks. All of that in our culture is not seen as valid, right? The grief a woman may experience. A friend of mine just this morning was sharing her grief at the end of her breastfeeding journey. You know, it's very valid all this in the grief of a woman who has not been able to breastfeed for all sorts of reasons. So there's all this kind of stuff that's not, that's part of our journey and are not usually held with kindness and held with the spaciousness, you know, the space holding of being witnessed. Mm. Without trying to necessarily fix, do you see what I mean? Just holding what yeah. is so that, because I believe that people can heal themselves, but it's just that that's not part of our culture, right? People think the doctor heals you. Like I remember telling my kids when they were younger, I was like, when you graze your knee the other day, who made the scab? The doctor? 
but that's the culture we live in. So it's much easier to heal with somebody who's holding the journey for you. Because I think mm. we're meant to heal ourselves, but I don't think we're meant to be doing it alone. And again, the whole, I do it myself, I don't need anyone, it's a trauma response. Mm. You know, the whole being independent at all costs. And I wonder as well, for, for a lot of trauma that may be difficult for people to sort of tackle, maybe head on in terms of talking about it, remembering it, or just processing it in a kind of very conscious way, that doing that through drumming or coming in almost like through the back door yeah. is always a really gentle way of healing trauma because it enables them to really kind of have a purge, process the emotions, allow that to come out without necessarily it coming through the conscious mind. Yeah which might then prepare them for a more head-on approach, processing it, talking about it in a more real way, and, and just takes the edge off it. I don't know, what, what do you think? Does, do you think that can kind of help people that maybe have something that maybe is so strong that they can't, you know, you get a lot of people that have just, I can't talk about it, I don't want to think about it, I don't want to, they just block it out. They just, it's a complete block out. Whereas if you come at it physically through something like drumming, that you can kind of release some of that. And then, oh, now I've got the strength to maybe deal with this. Yeah. And again, I think it's really important to be respecting consent there because I think if people say, I don't want to talk about it, then they don't want to talk about it. Certainly, I'm a big proponent believer of the fact that trauma is held in the body. Yeah. And that the Western approach of just doing talking therapies only is not enough. You know, the, the talking therapies can be powerful, but only doing the mind only doing the talking i think it just doesn't get at the root so far enough yeah yeah so i feel yes so you know that it's not for no reason that shamans the world around use drumming to enter help people enter a trance-like state and then go and find out you know for them in the spirit world what was going on you know and come back with some kind of guidance and answers and stuff and yeah and also the other thing I do is when I do healing for people using my drum, sometimes I get dying, whether it's drum or Reiki or books, I usually mix all of it now. I often get guidance of stuff that sometimes is very clear. I, it's not in the person's best interest to hear that right now, mm. you know, the, the what's happened to them. Sometimes I just speak. Like a very strong example, for instance, is a friend of mine who's now expecting his first child in a few weeks. When we first met, he said, my second chakra is blocked. And I don't know how it came out of my, it was one of those downloads. And I said, your second chakra is blocked because you're not sure whether you want a child or not. And the minute I spoke these words, he said it unblocked. Yeah, awareness is a huge thing there. The minute you kind of hit upon that realization about what it is, that awareness alone can can unlock, can heal. Yeah, yeah like the story I was telling about the woman who had the drum healing over several sessions, you know, that was really fascinating to me. And as a story, for instance, that talks about the menstrual cycle was one of my case studies had something I'd never come across, a period so heavy that she was losing between a pint and 700 mils of blood every time she had her periods. Oh my God. And so she was having to go to the hospital every six weeks to have an iron infusion. And when she'd gone, it was a woman in her early 40s, and when she'd gone to the doctors, all they offered her was an hysterectomy. And she said, I don't want that. And I said, well, I think you're very wise, because right now, whatever it is that's happening is at least coming out. But if you remove your uterus, whatever it is that's causing that, it's still going to be there. It's not going to have a way to come out. And so as we did the, the session week from week on week, and I started asking more questions, and I said, and, you know, how does it feel to you? Because usually what I did find out is that people who have such heavy bleeds is usually people who give to others all the time. Right. They're overgiving and not giving enough, like not having any boundaries for themselves and not being able to keep the energy. So they're literally leaking their lifeblood. I mean, seven red males, I was like, That's- 90 males is considered a heavy period. And the average is like 30 to 50, I think. I was like, what? A pint? that's crazy and so i said to her we talked about stuff she couldn't try and then i said well no the next time you bleed does it feel if it feels right for you can you just like allow yourself to slow down because you know i've been doing training around menstrual cycle awareness i trained with alexandra pop years ago and did a workshop with her and i've been reading around the topic and i well i was still regularly bleeding um i was like um really knowing the first two days of my cycle i had to really really slow down so there was i'd pay the price for the whole cycle 
So if I've made myself really slow down, within two days I'd bounce back. You know, it's like my energy would come back, but I had, I still have it now, even though I'm like on the cusp of menopause, where like several days a week I have a moment where my body just says you need to rest right now and you can't do anything else. Mm. And so I said to this woman, would you like to try and rest a bit more and also like ask your womb what it's trying to tell you? Like just next time you bleed, just ask, you know, tune in with yourself and ask well, what, what is it you need? And she did that. She rested a lot more and had half the bleed she normally got. Wow. Just one session. After that, we talked about what else she could do. And she went down the route of seeing a, a herbalist, I think. You know, but again, yeah. the holistic care, if you went to the only answer, the, the only answer Western medical approach is to remove the offending organ. It's a bit like if you were driving your car and some light flashed saying something wrong and you took a hammer and bashed at the light <laughs> yeah, and yeah. on driving saying everything's fine, nothing to see now. I'm really pleased, to, you know, I've seen lots of people going down the route of having the organs removed. And that's their journey, but, but I'm really pleased for her that she was able to listen to what her body said and, mm. you know, I mean, again, do you talk about like womb trauma and stuff, you know, the it's often when this woman's daughter started a menarche, she said she also had a very heavy bleed. So I think if people just like yeah. carry this kind of energy. There's, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Well, before we dance into another conversation yeah. around <laughs> menstrual cycles, Sophie, uh, which I would love to do, but um, I'm just conscious of time. Um, where can people find out more about your work? And so I'm thinking birth professionals are going to want to probably get get into some drumming. Yeah. I'm thinking you said you do remote. So where can people track you down? So I, before I forget what I'm starting, um, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll probably be well on the way, but I'm, I'm creating a course, course online and face to face to to one that's online because I want it to be available to people outside just the UK. And I'm also doing a face to face workshop in Cambridge and I may do some more but to teach people, professionals and families about drumming for birth. Mm. And my I have a website, it's sophiemessager.com. And okay. I'm on Instagram, Sophie underscore messager. Just make sure that people often look like twice when I say my name because you know they, they can't see how it's spelled. So it's messager is a spell French spelling of messenger, which is like without well, the end like there's it's a instead of e there's no n so it's like message but with an r at the end yeah. and i'm also yeah. on facebook um if you look for my name on facebook and basically my professional facebook page is called the sophie message because sophie message <laughs> was already taken that was a way to go around that one i've got some um so on my instagram channel there is some videos of myself drumming and i put them on youtube my youtube channel as well Okay, well, I'm going to include all the links in the podcast show notes. And I'm also going to ask you for some, the, you mentioned some names today, books and that yeah. French lady as well. It'd be good if I could just have those as well. So in case anybody wants to continue digging into all of this, then we can share that with them as well. So thank you, Sophie, for joining me on the podcast. It's thank you very much, Alex. I'm really delighted you invited me to talk about this topic because it feels like it's a pioneering. Bit. The time. Yeah, it feels yeah. like it's not something that's being currently actively done. And it needs to be brought back. You know, it needs to. The, the thing that got me the most excited when I started looking at the research and what my clients told me it did for them, because there's also a lot of women who said it allowed them to tune with the soul of their baby, like to literally have a conversation with their unborn yeah. child, to see their unborn child. I thought if you have women who drum, get drumming during the pregnancy, that can allow themselves to really start to trust their body and to trust their intuition and to rebuild that mm. inner wisdom we have that the system is trying to tell us we, that it's just like rubbish. Yeah. And they're much less likely to have, to listen to some random man, male obstetrician who's gonna tell them, I know what's right for your body, you just silly little girl, just do what you as you're told. And much more likely to stand up to say, no, actually, um, I know what's right for my body. You know, mm. sort of the this story that pops into mind is one of my mentors became pregnant unexpectedly at the age of 54 and went to see an obstetrician and was told, well, we're gonna scan you every every 
two weeks or every week and she did a cesarean and she said no my baby spoke to me in my dream and told me she doesn't like the sound the ultrasound and i'm having a home birth i would have paid money to see the obstetrician's face because i think when, by the time she gave birth she was 55. amazing and i'm also thinking that like it feels like that this drumming is a really great way even those women that are kind of outside of there that may be heading into the menopause that have birth and pregnancy behind them that actually it's a really great opportunity for them to kind of form part of this circle that women need around them you know they talk about birth takes a village raising a child raises a village yeah. takes a village it's about well let's create that collective female energy support system where you can have these women coming together drumming supporting the woman that's going through that transition the wisdom that these women can bring as well because they've been through it they've seen it um and and just supporting women through this in a way that's very that's what we used to do that, that has been a little bit forgotten that we yeah. can start bringing that back in and there are a lot there are pockets of this going on anyway but the drumming gives a real good focus to that it almost gives a like an excuse like hey well, I'm just going to my drumming circle it's you know it's really good it's got all these mental health benefits da, da, da. but actually you know there's, there's, there's a much more deeper powerful reason behind it all that, that yeah. we can come together and support those that need it whether or not they're pregnant actually because of the mental health benefits the the cardiovascular and the community you know you when as Alyssa to you speak the image that pops into my mind was um, Michel Audin in his books he always talks about having a quiet midwife who knitting in the corner and I can imagine an older woman quietly <laughs> drumming in the corner <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you know the other thing is you're talking about drum circles I have as recently as um, last week, um, women who was 41 weeks pregnant come to my drum circle and I go into neighbor the next day. And I yeah. had a, a friend who came to our, my drum circle on the day that she was due because she felt she needed that, feeling the vibration yeah. calling the baby in, feeling that it would help bring the baby to the world to be taking part in that. So, yeah. And also, you know, talking about the menopause, you know, that's another side of our culture that we live in such an ageist culture that nobody sees women who are going through the menopause, the process of the menopause as positive, just yeah. like birth, you know, it's only portrayed yeah. as horrible. Menopause yeah. only portrayed as you're getting old, you're drying up, you know, when actually the, the, all the sort of traditional women wisdom is you become really power, fucking powerful yeah. when you go through the menopause because the estrogen drops and you take no shit anymore. You know? yeah. <laughs> and you just stand up to, you know, so I, the elder women, the powerful crones, an army of powerful crones armed with the drums, that's sort of an image that really delights me. I think it's beneficial yeah. to old age. And uh, I would love, for instance, to having ceremonies, including the drum for young women when they go through their first period you know the in i've been listening to a lot of podcasts from jane hardwick collins and she talks about how they change the attitude towards period in a one generation because you know usually it's portrayed as only being like a pain when you start bleeding a curse or whatever and she said they do such cool ceremonies for for young women who reach puberty in their community that the little girls who attend the ceremonies on the side they go oh, i can't wait until i get my parents because i'll get to have that big ceremony thing and uh, that's really powerful stuff right so yeah. if we could that to for me for every transition of a woman's yeah. life you know whether the first bleed the becoming a mother the the menopause all this kind of big transition any grief any trauma any big life change you know when you change job when you change partner when it's where's this moment where you need to be held by the community having some yeah. kind of ceremony that brings back this trans like yeah. community thing it's, because you know in drumming circle we do sharing circles as well so there's again this space for people to talk about what's going on without being told without trying people trying to fix them just being seen and heard it's really yeah. powerful yeah. stuff yeah and I, I also realize I haven't asked you to play anything yet. Would you would you yeah. be okay to play yep. something like just so we can get a sense of what all this what we've been talking about? Just a couple of minutes of drumming. You want mm. me to sing as well or just the drumming? Just whatever the experience is, yeah. just go for it. the channel between the earth and the sun we are the keepers 
of the ancient ways we will bring peace to these troubled days thank you for that sophie well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all of this and i'm sure that everybody listening is just going to be like diving into all this and checking it out and it's i'm sure you, you won't be able to train these birth workers fast enough um <laughs> i hope so, so i, I wish you an army of people yeah. <laughs> i know i mean, I, just, I think birth workers have got an incredible incredibly important job and there's so many tools available to them to support that they can adopt and it doesn't also mean that women can find a birth worker it really does fit their philosophy and their attitude and yeah. their, what they want, you know, because I mean, there are so really many different help ways. In pregnancy to reduce anxiety, it can yeah. really help that you can do really deep journey meditation types things to mm. like go into not just meet the spirit of your baby, but go in. What do I need? You know, what, what am I scared of? You know, what can you, like it's like meditation on steroids. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get into some, I'm going to get some drumming in. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. It's been brilliant. You've been listening to the Fear Free Childbirth podcast with me, Alexia Leachman. Fear Free Childbirth is the online destination for women seeking to take the fear out of pregnancy, birth and beyond. With fear clearance meditations, self-healing products and courses, professional training and specialist programs for overcoming tocophobia. And if you've enjoyed this episode, then check out the Fear Free Childbirth Mama Ship. It's a bit like Netflix, where you can binge on a boatload more Fear Free Childbirth content to inspire you on the journey to motherhood and beyond. More interviews, more birth stories, more expert wisdom. Visit fearfreechildbirth.com to find out more.